0: Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm really, really excited to be with you guys today. Um, I am Ryan's wife, I am also a counselor, but the most important thing about me is I am a beloved daughter of our God. Um, That's the most important thing about me, Um, You may also see me up here on the worship team with Donnie and crew, and that's also a privilege of mine. But the reason I'm here up front of you talking today is because of the counseling thing. You see, it is my job, day in and day out, to sit with people as they are navigating their emotional minefields. And it is my privilege to do that one-on-one, but today I get to talk to all of you. And so uh, we're just covering a little bit more ground that way. Um, And today I get to talk to you about shame. Hooray! It's everybody's favorite Emotion, <laughs> and before you walk out of the out of the service here, or before you turn off the stream, uh, sit with me for a minute, okay? Because I do believe that God wants to share with us something about shame that could set us free today. You see, shame is one of those feelings uh, that I think burdens us pretty heavily, and it made me think of um, my son Huck. You see, Huck believes that he has the heaviest backpack in the world. It is the heaviest backpack, especially at the beginning of a new school year. It's like he cannot possibly carry that thing to and from his school building, it's just not possible. He walks in like this, you know, and it's like, just completely loaded down, and then when he comes home at the end of the day, he walks in like that, and then something happens. He stands up straight, throws it off his back, and it falls, plonk, to the ground, which is a problem when you have like a Chromebook in there. But um, suddenly he's a new kid, right? He runs upstairs, he gets his Legos, he spreads them throughout the house. He's climbing on his brother, he's asking for a snack. He's full of energy that he didn't have ten minutes ago, right? Just because that load is off. And I believe that's the kind of transformation that we can have today when we're freed from shame, when that shame is deactivated in our lives. So I'm super excited to talk to you about it. Um, so first of all, it is important that we know what we're talking about when we say shame. It is, of course, a human emotion. We Almost all of us, I would say, experience shame. Um, and if you don't experience shame, that might be a different kind of problem, <laughs> okay? Um, and shame, for a lot of us, um, comes in pretty early on in life. But the definition that we're working with today is a definition that um, shame researcher and author Brene Brown uses, and that is, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, Okay. So shame is different from guilt. Guilt is, I did a bad thing, okay? I did wrong. Shame is, I am bad. I am wrong, okay? So guilt is about, like, what we do, but shame is about who we are, which makes it even more toxic. It makes it even more tricky to get rid of. By the way, both shame and guilt can be stuck emotions that can trip us up. And if you notice that you have problems with, like, toxic guilt sticking, Pay attention, because some of this may be for you as well. Um, They're kind of related to each other, but today we're focusing in on the shame part. Like I said before, it comes in pretty early while you're still a kid. Um, It may be that when you were growing up, your parents didn't have quite as much money as other kids' parents did, and you wore secondhand clothes to school and got made fun of, so you started to think of yourself as poor. Maybe you uh, messed up a few too many times at the whiteboard and your teacher said some harsh things to you shamed you for that, and you started to think of yourself as stupid. Maybe, maybe you had harsh parents who didn't have patience with you when you were little, and you started to think of yourself as in the way or a mistake. Now, I know for you, you're probably thinking of your own shame story right now. Don't go there right now, okay? That's not the goal. Come back to me, because here's the thing I believe that our God, our beautiful Heavenly Father, wants to release us from that shame story today. Um, So, if your story comes to mind, that's fine, just put it on the back burner and let's keep talking. Um, Some of you, I just want to give a side note here today, some of you might be uncomfortable with the idea of getting rid of shame, okay? I think a lot of us were raised in uh, churches that used shame and guilt a lot, right? And what comes to mind is, well, if I don't think I'm horrible all the time, how will I know that I need God's grace, right? Aren't I supposed to feel horrible about myself? Aren't I a sinner, you know? Well, okay, yes, we do need God's grace, but we're not supposed to live there, okay? That's not the end goal. The end goal is not shame. The end goal is experiencing freedom in Christ, and I'm going to prove that here in Romans 8, okay? So Romans 8, starting in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is, no no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And it continues later in Romans 8:14 uh, and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, which is why I introduced the, myself the way I did this morning. Uh, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Anyone want to say amen to that? Um, So that's a whole separate sermon. I'm not going to stay there any longer. (laughs) But if you want to hear more about that, I encourage you to talk to one of our pastors after service. Talk to me about that. I would love to share more about how Jesus sets us free and the gift that he gives us in his death and resurrection. But what the Bible actually says about shame, to get back on the topic, is actually quite a lot. The Bible has a ton to say about shame. It's all over the place. If you look through the Psalms, there's a lot of these comments like, oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. Let my enemies be put to shame instead of me. Um, That's all over the place, so you run into it quite a bit. And the reason the Bible talks so much about shame is because shame had, and still has, a lot of cultural power in the Middle East, in, in the cultural context of Scripture, okay? And in other parts of the world as well, shame is still kind of a big deal in culture. And I would argue it's becoming a bigger deal in our culture as well. We use shame a lot in Western culture these days. And some of that is because of social media, right? I think if you spend any time on Twitter, if you spend any time on Facebook, you're going to run into that. It's like every other day we're hearing about a celebrity or a public figure who got such a shame beating on Twitter that they had to either quit their job or uh, just retreat from from the Internet (laughs) entirely, right? Sometimes it's deserved, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it really seems strange to us. Um, on Facebook, you can find it every single day if you want to. Uh, it might be your relatives. It might be your acquaintances. It might be you. Um, <laughs> jumping up and down on people created in the image of God, right? Like, oh, how could you be a Christian and think that? Or, oh, what kind of a parent are you? You know? This is the kind of stuff we read, right? I can't believe so-and-so. What, what, those people are trash. Those people are worthless. This is what we see online. Shame is everywhere. But the difference between the kind of shame we see, especially on social media, and the kind of shame that we see in scripture, is I think they have pretty different goals, okay? The goal of our shame is very much to push away, to get rid of, right? If we see someone shamed on Twitter, it's probably because people want them out, out of society, out of the conversation, right? If, however, you see someone shaved in Scripture, or in the Middle Eastern cultures even today, the goal usually isn't to push people away, the goal is often to pull people in, which is really different, right? And I have a good example for that in uh, 1 Corinthians, okay? See, the church in in Corinth, was pretty messed up, okay? They had some problems going on. They had been planted by the Apostle Paul a few years earlier, and Paul was a missionary, so he went from church to church to church, and so Paul left, and then they kind of were left to their own devices for a while, and they got into some stuff, okay? They were tolerating all kinds of sin. There was all kinds of conflict going on in their church, and you can read about it in 1 Corinthians if you want to, but Paul writes them this letter, 1 Corinthians, and this is what he has to say about it. He says, I say this to shame you. This is in 1 Corinthians 6, 5. So he's intentionally shaming. He says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Because they were taking each other court, to public court, rather than talking to each other, like brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul is intentionally shaming them, but it's very clear what he wants is for them to talk to each other, for them to figure it out, to reconnect with who God's called them to be. The goal isn't get rid of you. The goal is figure it out. Be the community of God. Um, now, we know Corinth didn't figure it out right away, okay? They kind of messed up a little bit longer. In fact, biblical scholars think that we're missing a book in between First and Second Corinthians, like a one-and-a-half Corinthians, if you will, and that that book was full of even harsher words from Paul to the Corinthians, saying, come on, guys, you really got to get your act together, right? But then, in our, in our book, Second Corinthians, Paul has a little bit more to say to them that I wanted to touch on today. Um, this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight through eleven. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so we were not harmed. You were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I'm going to read that again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So that verse in there, verse 10, is what I really want us to focus in on, because I think it is the very best tool that we have for discerning the difference between the useful kind of shame that gets us pushed in the right direction and the unhelpful toxic stuff that we really need to deactivate, okay? Because the helpful stuff, it leads to repentance, it leads to life, it leaves no regret, but the worldly stuff, it leads to death. Okay? That's what we're deactivating today. And I would bet that for most of you, your experience with shame looks a lot more like this second type. It's the kind that gets stuck and leads to death and keeps you paralyzed. God doesn't want that for you. That's worldly shame. So... We're going to take a look at one of my very favorite stories in the Bible, and actually it's one that um, Pastor Andy preached on just a few weeks ago. We're going to talk about it again, because I think it's a really good case study, if you will, for what God wants to do in our hearts and releasing us from shame. It's found in John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Now he, this is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near to the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. "'Give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty "'and keep coming here to get water. "'He told her, go, call your husband and come back. "'I have no husband,' she said. "'Jesus said to her, "'You're right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is you have had five husbands, "'and the man you have now is not your husband. "'What you've said is quite true. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see that you're a prophet. "'Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, "'but you Jews claim that this pla- the place "'where we must worship is in Jerusalem.' The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him speaking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. Skipping to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when, he, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Amen. I get excited about that. I need a drink, so give me a second speaking of living water. Um, So we can see in this story a lot of things that tell us that this is a story that features a lot of shame, okay? First of all, shame is wrapped up in our identities, okay? Like we said before, shame is the I am bad part, not the I did bad, I am bad, right? And we can see for this woman, she had a lot of shame wrapped up in her identities. First of all, the first thing she says is, I'm a Samaritan, See, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They believed differently. They had a history of a lot of um, idol worship. They had intermarried with the other people around, and so they weren't like Jewish, purely Jewish anymore. Um, And Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, some Jewish teachers would just walk the long way around Samaritan-occupied territories when they had to travel, because they did not want to interact at all. Um, On top of that, this woman points out that she is, in fact, female. Our gender is still a huge part of our identities, right? But back then, it was not okay to be female. In fact, some Jewish people would teach men should not even interact in public with women that they're related to. Like, you shouldn't go to coffee with your daughter, because who knows, people might say things, right? So to be a woman was also something that held a little bit of shame for this woman. And so it was a big deal that Jesus, this Jewish teacher, was talking to her in public, right? On top of that, we know from the story that she had multiple marriages and multiple relationships, right? And we still have a lot of identities that we label people with with regards to their history, their sexual history, right? So we know this woman had a lot that she was carrying that was an identity piece, okay? And you probably have some things about your identity that you're carrying around that burden you as well. We don't know her whole story, but she was very aware of these differences because they were one of the first things that she said. Um, Sometimes, your shame is also wrapped up in your identity. Maybe it's your race. Maybe it's your family background. Maybe it's your social status. Maybe it's what you have or what you don't have. Maybe it's your talents or the talents that you don't have. And once the shame is there, it sinks in, it takes hold, and it feels like the smallest thing can activate it again, right? Once we've let shame sink in and tell us who we are, the smallest thing can bring it all right back. It does what I like to think of as a shame snowball, okay? You know the whole analogy of like a snowball rolling down a hill, gains snow, flattens a car at the bottom of the hill, right? That's what shame does. And I'm gonna give you an example for my own life, okay? So several years ago when Ryan and I were newly married, he had only been in ministry maybe a year or two, um, I saw a video on YouTube that I thought was funny and so I posted it on Facebook, because that's what you did in 2009. And I, it was like one of those videos, it was like a really short video, but it had like a whole bunch of jokes packed in back to back to back. It made me laugh, I put it online. And not like an hour later, an older gentleman from my church, who I really respected, this is someone that I knew that I respected, get, sent me a private message on Facebook saying, Jamie, you really may want to think about taking that video down. I think some of the jokes are a little inappropriate for the wife of a youth pastor. Like, it, it wasn't worded unkindly. It was, this was a person, like I said, that I knew. This is a person who was concerned for me. But what this person did not know is they had just touched a nerve, you know? They had actually found one of my shame pressure points, if you will and I was in the middle of a shame snowball like nothing else. See, it wasn't just about this one video anymore. It was about that time back in college when I had posted an opinion on Facebook and gotten stomped by one of my friend's parents. And this was someone I knew and I liked, and they had just let me have it online. It came back to a time in high school when I got pulled into the school counselor's office. It was a Christian high school, and I had asked a question in a rather rude way in the middle of youth group. And so they brought me into the school counselor's office um, for a scolding or a correction. Um, It brought back the time in middle school when I got accused of lying by my history teacher. I'm still a little salty about that one. It brought back the time in elementary school when I had to tell my teacher that I had, in fact, cheated on my math test. It brought back all of the times that I had ever disappointed someone that I respected, and I was, I was about ready to crush a car. Like, I was so full of shame. And so the first thing I did is I deleted it, and then I avoided that guy at church for weeks, right? I didn't talk about it. I didn't fix it. I just moved on, right? Now, I'd like to think that I've grown enough and I've worked on my shame triggers enough that that is not what would happen nowadays. But I don't know, right? When you have these small little triggers hit, Sometimes it overwhelms you, and this is just a reminder to tell you, just because your shame is really big doesn't mean that the situation necessarily warranted that amount of shame, okay? Your feelings are important, they are not the same thing as facts, okay? So feelings are important, they are not the same thing as facts. Just because you feel a lot of shame does not necessarily mean you should be bearing a lot of shame. So. One thing it does show us, though, the shame snowball and also this Scripture, is that shame isn't just wrapped up in our identity. Shame also keeps us isolated and trapped. I told you I avoided that guy for weeks, and I did avoid that guy for weeks, okay? And we see in the story of the Samaritan woman that she was also avoiding some interaction, being known by others. Um, We have in the Scripture that she was there at the hottest part of the day, at noon, right? Right? which tells us why Jesus was so thirsty, but it also tells us something about this woman, I believe. Some biblical scholars think she might have been out there in the heat of the day, maybe to avoid other people, right? It's not the most logical time to go draw water. And looking at maps, she had a lot of springs of water closer to where she lived, closer to the Samaritan settlements than this well. She would have had to walk a little bit out of her way to get to this well, and she did it in the middle of the day. Why would she do that? I think it's probably because she was avoiding people. She may have had a reputation in her community, and it may have just been easier to just not be around when other people were around. On top of that, we see in this conversation with Jesus, she's super evasive as soon as Jesus asks her about her shame, right? As soon as he says, oh, get your husband, she's like, I have no husband. She's been pretty chatty up until that point. She's joking a little bit, right? But she shuts down. She says, no, I don't have a husband. And then when Jesus calls her on it, she does something really interesting. She changes the subject really fast. She's like, yeah, you're a prophet. By the way, what about this temple situation? She just completely bounces off of it, and for a little bit of context, about 150 years before this conversation that we have recorded here, the Jews had actually destroyed the Samaritan temple to Yahweh on Mount Gerizim, which is where this conversation is happening. So she's not just bringing up a different topic, she's bringing up a controversial topic, something that's going to pull them away from the spot where she's feeling shame, right? She's picking a fight, so to speak, because that's what we do, right? When we're full of shame, we hide, we isolate, we pick a fight so that nobody looks at us directly, right? Now, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as introverts. Like, I get that some people just don't want to be around other people all the time. I'm with you, um, honestly. But there is a difference, okay, between the kind of isolation that we see provoked by shame and the kind of isolation that just comes from being recharged by alone time. Um, This is the kind of shame that keeps us isolated that is because people feel like they're unworthy of love. People feel like they don't belong and so they hold themselves apart. God doesn't want that for you. Um, On top of that, being uh, in shame keeps us trapped in unhealthy patterns, okay? To illustrate this, let's imagine uh, that you have a particular shame trigger related to food okay? Maybe you're an emotional eater. Maybe it's just been a struggle over your life. And imagine you're trying really hard to eat healthy, and then you're walking through Kroger one day, and in the deli section, you spot a beautiful Boston cream pie, just beautiful. And you've had a hard day, and so you buy the pie, right? You take it home, you cut yourself a big slice of cake, and you eat it. And then what happens? You're so full of shame, right? You're in the middle of your own shame snowball. What do you do next? Eat it, right? If, you, if you're thinking to your mind, eat another piece or eat the whole thing, you're absolutely right, right? You don't stop because of shame. You keep going because of shame. Shame is both the gas in the engine and the output of the engine of addiction. It is the thing that keeps us trapped in that cycle because we're doing the thing to numb out that pain and then more pain is produced by it, right? So shame just doesn't keep us alone. It keeps us stuck, in our old ways, in our old patterns. We don't need it. We also can see from this story that shame keeps us critical of others, okay? We can see this in this woman picking a fight, but we can even see it before she picks a fight with Jesus. We can see it in the way that she's a little bit critical of him right off the bat, right? She says, you don't have a bucket. What kind of poor planning was that, you know? Are you greater than our father Jacob, right? Right? Implication? No, of course not. He was, of course. But, you know, she's picking on him right off the bat, being critical at Jesus, who she doesn't even know, you know? And the truth is, shame can make us critical in the same way of others around us. I mentioned earlier my own shame scar of feeling like a disappointment or feeling like I I had morally failed and was being called out by people I respected. That was a shame trigger for me. And one of the ways that I coped with that as a kid was rampant perfectionism, okay? I had to do the best on everything in school, and I was pretty insufferable about it, I'm not going to lie. And I thought I was doing better. Like, I got better through college, I got better through adulthood, but then I had kids, okay? And kids will bring out your shame, guys. (laughs) They will. Um, I love my children so much. They, They teach me so much. But the first time my oldest, Toby, was in kindergarten and had a major school project, I had some work to do okay? Because as a kindergartner, at the end of the school year, they had this assignment where everyone was supposed to write and illustrate their own picture book. Now, he was six, right? Writing and illustrating your own picture book at the age of six is kind of a challenge, okay? And I couldn't handle it. I could, I could not handle it. I couldn't handle it not being perfect, okay? And it wasn't going to be perfect because he was six. And I was tempted to be critical of everybody in this situation. I wanted to be critical of the teacher, how dare she assign such a thing, right? It was a school-wide thing, it wasn't just her, right? I wanted to be critical of Toby, why doesn't he know how to type yet, you know? Come on. I know, right? (laughs) Exactly. You're right, Toby, you're right. Um, I wanted to be critical of Ryan, because I thought Ryan was helping him in the wrong way, okay? Now, fortunately, the only person I actually unloaded on was Ryan, and he loves me, so he forgave me. Um, But that's what happened, right? I recognize now, looking back on this, all of that criticism, all of that frustration, that was coming from me. That didn't have anything to do with the teacher or with Toby or with Ryan. That had to do with me and my own shame. I had some work to do, right? The truth is, when you notice that you're prone to judging others, to be critical of others, it might be a sign that there's a shame scar that God wants to heal in you. For those of you who are tempted to be critical of the bodies of others, ooh, did she see how she looks in those jeans? Oh, he's really skinny. Maybe you have some shame related to your own body image. For those of you who have a hard time sitting with people who are crying or upset or angry, who can't tolerate the emotional expression of others, Maybe you've got some shame related to your own emotional expression. Maybe someone told you to man up too much when you were a kid. Maybe someone told you to stop crying, stop being a baby. This is so common in our culture, especially with men, but with women too. We pass it on generation to generation, right? Fathers telling sons, mothers telling daughters. And this is how the pattern gets continued. And I know for some of you right now, me saying that is bringing on its own shame, okay? (laughs) Because I know some of you are like, oh no, what have I done? What have I done to my children? You know, stop it, don't do that. God wants to release you from that. That's the point. He doesn't want to keep you stuck there. He wants to transform your relationships, not only with your parents who did it to you, but also with your children so that you can do something new. God wants better for you. And this is just an indication that there's work He wants to do. It's a gentle and loving reminder that he wants better for us. So what's the answer, right? How do we combat it? I don't want to leave you in the, oh, it's horrible, everything's bad. I hate shame, this is the worst. No, we can do something about it. So let's talk about that from this story as well. It starts with the work of God's Holy Spirit, okay? And that's the first thing that Jesus says to this woman. He talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give you a new identity, and a new pattern of life, just as he did for this woman, the Samaritan woman. You see, Jesus talks about living water right off the bat. Now, this wouldn't have been a new phrase for this woman. She would have heard the phrase living water, but it would have meant like flowing water, like a stream or a spring, as opposed to like stagnant water like a lake or a pond, okay? That's what living water means in this context, but it's a metaphor that's used other places in Scripture. In the Old Testament, it talks about God's presence as living water, Also, later in the book of John, Jesus uses the same metaphor, living water, and they call it out as talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says he's giving living water, and that means he's giving the Holy Spirit to his followers. What he's talking about here with this Samaritan woman is a work of the Holy Spirit in her life, and that is still the way that God wants to deal with our shame today. So. Um, He talks about living water and the way it changes you when you drink it. It makes you into the spring of living water, and when the Holy Spirit is in you, it doesn't stay in you, it bubbles out of you, right? You carry it with you wherever you go. Um, The promise is very clearly for her too, even though she's a Samaritan, even though she's a woman, even though she has a past. The promise is for her. Jesus makes it really clear, and the promise is for you as well. When God does his work, it changes our pattern of living, and it sets us free from our old broken identities, and it gives us a new identity. We don't have to keep coming back to that old stagnant water. It's like we've been placing these name tags on ourselves: I'm poor. I'm worthless. I'm, uh, I'm a loser. I'm a disappointment. God wants to peel off those old name tags, throw them away, and give us a new identity as his children in Christ. Some of it starts with just letting him, right? We hold sometimes so tightly to our guilt and our shame with both hands, he wants to take it from us and give us something new and better through the power of his Holy Spirit. And the way that we see this happening for this woman is through this conversation with Jesus. You see, and this is something that Pastor Andy mentioned a few weeks back, we see that for this woman, the way that Jesus approached her, shame shriveled up in the light of grace, And truth offered in the person of Jesus. Jesus came with grace. He offered the Holy Spirit to her as well. He had a conversation with her even though she was a Samaritan and a woman. There was so much grace, but there was also truth. He didn't let her dodge, right? He didn't let her get away with excuses. He called her on her stuff, right? It was both and. Now, here's a hard truth, folks, today. You can't get out of shame if you're keeping your shame a secret. Okay? You can't get out of shame if you're keeping your shame a secret. I'm not advising that you go to work tomorrow and stand up in front of all your coworkers and tell your most shameful secrets. No, don't do that. Don't put it on Facebook. We know that's not a safe place. Come on. Don't do that. But you do need to experience healing through interactions with other people, through sharing yourself in those deepest, hardest parts of you. What I'm asking is for you to think about who do you have in your life who you know to be full of grace and truth, okay? It might be a close friend. It might be a mentor. It might be a family member. It might be one of our pastors here at the church. It might be a counselor that you see regularly. Who do you know who's full of grace and truth, I would say find a time and an opportunity to talk to them about some of that shame you've been carrying around. Here's the trick. It needs to be someone who has both, though, okay? Because if they only have one or the other, it's not going to work. If they're all truth, then your friend's going to be like, ew, you did what? Oh, okay. You know, and they back away slowly. That's not helpful, okay? That's going to add more shame. We don't want that. If it's all grace, they're going to be like, oh, that's no problem. I've done that 20 times. No big deal right? And then you just feel misunderstood, first of all, but also, that's not God's truth for you. Sometimes we do need to shape up, you know? So we need both the grace and the truth in equal measure. If you only get one of the two, it's going to keep you stuck. And if you only seek grace or truth from God and not from other people, that's going to keep you stuck too. Now, hear me out. I believe that in prayer, God wants to communicate his love to you, and he wants to free you from that through his own direct grace and truth. But I also believe he wants you to hear it from other people in community, because he doesn't just want to free us up in the vertical relationship, he wants to free us up in the horizontal relationships, too. He wants to free us from our isolation from one another. He wants us to be whole. Sometimes healing takes time. Sometimes it happens in one conversation like this woman, but sometimes it takes work, okay? And you may want to find a counselor if you're just listening to this and thinking, oh, i got some work to do. (laughs) Then maybe you want to find a counselor to talk to about some of your shame that you've been carrying around. Whether it happens in an instant or over time, it's still God's good work, okay? Um, Also, more than just finding our own healing in community, (laughs) this is what gets me really excited, guys more than just finding our own healing and community, when you've been released from shame and the spirit is working in you and you've got that fountain flowing, when you're freed from shame, you will be empowered to change your community, right? What do we see at the end of this story with the woman at the well? She leaves her water, right? Which I love that's such a beautiful metaphor, right? She's got living water, she doesn't need that old jug anymore. She leaves her water jug, she runs back to her community, and these people that she was avoiding, she's telling. She's telling them everything. Not just about Jesus, but also about her own story. She's saying, This guy knows everything about me. Now they know everything about her too. But being freed from the shame related to it, these people are drawn in to see Jesus because they see the difference in her, right? And they say at the very end, they say, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So this woman, being freed from her shame, is empowered to transform her community. This is the reason why our enemy, the accuser, the Satan, wants us to stay trapped in shame. Because not only does it make you independently miserable, It not only isolates you and keeps you from experiencing the fullness of Christ, it also completely hobbles you in your effectiveness in ministry. If we hold on to our our guilt and to our shame with both hands, they're not free to love. They're not free to give. They're not free to do what God is calling us to do. And if you're feeling like there's been shame holding you back in your ministry, please hear me, brothers and sisters. God wants to release you. that shame and empower you to effective ministry in His name. He wants you to be living out of His truth and not out of the lie that Satan wants you to believe. So a few weeks ago, uh, we did an exercise in my small group um, that that Ryan and I lead together, and I Put together a version of it for you guys. So I've got I've got a take-home exercise for you today. I'm going to talk you through it. If you got your uh, notes this morning, the little note thing that's on the back table, it's on the back of it. All this nice little tiny text. Um, that's your homework. Um, I give people homework all the time in counseling. I'm sorry. You may not want to come to me as your counselor if that, if you don't like homework. Um, but this is your homework, okay? Because here's the thing: it doesn't end now. Just knowing that God wants to release you from your shame doesn't mean that you're going to get there automatically, right? Sometimes we've got to sit in his words. Sometimes we've got to actually do something about it. So what this is, though, is it's a list of identity statements found in Scripture, okay? So they are things like, I am complete in Christ. I am a child of God, right? There is a list of 24 of them here, and you've got a Scripture reference for every single one. What I want you to do is when you go home, read through this list. If there's one or two that trip you up, that, like, stop you in your tracks, read the Scripture reference and kind of sit in it for a little bit, okay? Look it up in Scripture and and verify, yep, this is what the Bible says about me if I'm in Christ. Sit in it for a while, and then there are some questions that you can journal on on the bottom, and then the assignment is to take it to one of those grace and truth friends and talk to them about it, okay? Hear from God what He says about your identity, not what your shame says about your identity, and then live out that by interacting with others out of the truth, not out of the lie that you've swallowed. I'm going to pray for you today, and then I'm going to let you go. But I really encourage you, grab one of these on your way out. Or if not, I think it's going to be on the website as well. Um, Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege of being your child that you are in the business of releasing people from the things that weigh them down. Father God, I pray that you would be speaking to every heart in this room, that you would point out to them the wounds that you want to heal, the shame that you want to take away. Father God, we know that you, you experienced shame, Lord. You went to the cross. You died naked and alone, the most shameful death that is possible for the love of us but Lord, you didn't let that shame stick to you. You moved, and you changed, and you came, Lord, to transform all of us. You sent your Spirit to continue the work. Abba, Father, I pray that we would live out of your truth and not let our shame stick to us either. Help us to move forward today in the power of your Holy Spirit filled with your living water. And Lord, make us ambassadors of your grace to our communities. And i pray all of these things in the name of your precious son jesus christ amen amen go in peace thanks for joining us today to stay up to date with our weekly messages make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media you can check us out on instagram facebook youtube or download our app today to stay connected with all things the valley and if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.